worshiping with us on this Easter morning. Let's rejoice and thank God for what he did for us all those years ago on the cross. He is alive. this morning because we are glad you are worshiping with us today. Just give a handshake, get a name, and welcome here to Crossroads Ministries.
As we continue this morning, you can be seated. God is good and worthy of all of our praise. And as we sing this next song, it talks about the cross, but Jesus did not stay there. He is risen from the grave.
is so good, isn't he? Oh my. God is so good, isn't he? He is alive. He is risen from the dead and we should be celebrating because our God is mightier, stronger, more powerful than any God that could ever compare. Amen. Let's sing it.
can be seated as we continue, please. Thank you for the awesome singing.
Well, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to sing when you have a group like this helping us out, right? Well, it's so good to see you today in the Lord's house. Uh, please reach in the book rack right there in front of your seat somewhere. You'll find one of those little black friendship folders. If you'll be so kind to pull that out and put your name on it and give it to a person sitting near you, we'll appreciate that a lot today. This has been a busy, busy week, hasn't it? One lady was in the first service. She said, you know, I was so touched by God Friday night that I just had to come back this morning. And so the Lord is working in a wonderful way in our church. We're so thankful for that. Uh, just a few announcements. Every Easter we uh, try to turn the price of betrayal into an offering of love. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And so it's been our tradition to ask you, our people, to give an extra 30 pieces of silver over and above your regular giving on Easter. This is going to help us uh, do some makeover, some remodeling down in our children's department. We use this all the time. And so that's what the, it's going to be designated for this year. If you can do $30 over and above your regular giving, that would be great. And if you could do more, please do. Uh, and, but me, make sure you designate it 30 pieces of silver so that we can keep it separate. We thank you in advance for doing that. Also, there is this uh, announcement in our Sunday Courier. Next week, after this service, 11 o'clock, we're having a, a luncheon uh, for those newcomers to our church. Uh, it's called uh, Membership 101 to find out about the church. It's a chance to meet you just to have a time of fellowship. We won't keep you very long. We'll give you a nice lunch, and I think you'll be glad you came. So if you have never gone to one of those, tear off that bottom portion, that little blue part, put it in the offering plate, and we'll reserve a place for you there at the luncheon. Also, uh, we have our, our prayer forms in the Sunday Courier today. Uh, if you have a prayer request, fill this out completely and turn it in. And uh, we'll bring them out on Wednesday night and we'll pray about that with you. Uh, we take these very seriously, so uh, please take advantage of that. Let's stand together this morning as our ushers come and we'll receive our morning offering together. We thank you for your tremendous generosity to the church. Uh, it's a real blessing for us to be able to give to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you've provided a means of income for us. You've, uh, almost everybody that I know of in our church has a job. Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, we don't take this for granted. We know that you're our source. And so now, Lord, we come together to meet your need here in the church and through our missionaries around the world. We pray that you'll pour out upon us the spirit of generosity as we give for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
filled with his praises one day when sin was as black as can be jesus came forth to be born of a virgin dwelt among men my example is he the word became flesh and the light shined among us Glory revealed, living you heard me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. They led him up Calvary's mountain One day they nailed him to die on a chain Suffering anguish, despised and rejected Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he Hands that heal nations, stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me His living he loved me Dying he saved me Buried he carried My sins far away Rising he justified Freely forever One day he's coming Oh glorious day Oh glorious day One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now he's ascended, my Lord evermore. Death cannot hold him, the grave cannot keep him. Rising again, he's living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, buried, he carried my sins far away, rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh, glorious day, oh, glorious day. Justified, 
go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. They could sing that song every week, don't you think? Wow. What a song. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the impact of the resurrection. Uh, Paul refers to some of it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Whenever, for those of you who are reading your Bible through, you know that 1 Corinthians 15 is uh, the resurrection chapter. And so in verse number 1, he says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. You know, uh, we try to define the word gospel in our society. Uh, sometimes people say, well, this is the gospel truth. And that means this is probably more true than anything else you've ever heard before. But the meaning of the word gospel in the New Testament is simply good news. So that whenever you come to that word gospel, that, that's it. That's the meaning. Good news. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the good news, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. He said, I preached it to you. You received it. You're standing on it. By which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, and that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose the third day according to the Scriptures. And so what Paul is saying here is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is all prophesied earlier in the Old Testament. It's just now coming to, to pass in the New Testament. And that he... He was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Now, this is interesting. After the resurrection of Christ, uh, there was a gathering somewhere that attracted 500 of his followers at that time. And he said, now look at me, I'm alive. I've risen from the grave. Of whom the greater part remains to this present, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, most of them are still alive. After that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me, also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. You know, whenever we think of apostles, we think of the great ones. We say, boy, Peter, he was big. Paul, he was great. Paul says, when you think of me... Don't think of me like that. I'm the least of the apostles. And the reason why is because I persecuted the church. So I look at myself, he says, as the least of the apostles. But then in verse number 10, we have an interesting statement. By the grace of God, I am what I am. A few years ago, I said, you know, I want that part of that verse for my life because when I look back over my life, I think that if there's anything good in my life, God really has to get the credit for that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's what Paul was saying here. If you see something good in my life, you better give God the credit because I can't give myself the credit. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection, your resurrection and my resurrection. John eleven twenty five says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he were dead, he shall live. 
The hope that you and I will be resurrected one day from the grave is bound up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you shall live also. I find myself quoting that a lot. Because Christ lives, I'm going to live. Maybe you've heard of Lee Strobel. He wrote the book, The Case for Christ. Some of you have read it. He said this, Every single shred of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also evidence for my eventual resurrection. So we come together in the church to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and, and we say, listen, we're really connected with that. Some of you have heard of Josh McDowell. He's a Christian apologist. This is what he said. After more than 700 hours of studying this subject thoroughly, and investigating its foundation, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever perpetrated upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. The resurrection is not merely, it's tremendously important to the Christian faith. Without it, there is no Christianity. Some of you remember James Kennedy. We used to watch him on television. He said this, The evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been examined more carefully than the evidence for any other fact in history. Jesus is alive. Uh, this message of the resurrection uh, is a message that uh, is for all of us today. It was the message of the church. You know, whenever the church was born, and this is our first point right here, the message of the church. Whenever the church was first born, uh, the Lord breathed life into the church when the Holy Spirit came into the church, into the environment. When the Holy Spirit came down, Peter stood up, and so it has been ever since. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes on your life, you know what happens? You stand up. You stand up out of your lethargy, out of your indifference, because the Holy Spirit is the motivator of the Christian life. The Apostle Paul says uh, that he was motivated. The love of Christ impelled him. And remember Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and you know what he preached? I want you to go home and read it. The resurrection. He got the crowd together and he said, now listen, I want to tell you that Jesus is alive. And it was so powerful that 3,000 people came to Christ as a result of that preaching. They said, listen, you're so convincing, we believe you. Uh, we believe what you're saying to us. But about 25 years later, we come to Paul. And Paul was preaching to the church at Corinth, and, and this is what he said. Verse 1, I preached it to you, you received it, and you're standing upon it. Uh, and since every generation, that's the scenario. We've received it, we preach it, the church stands upon it. We're standing on the resurrection today. Well, verse number two uh, has a strange twist at the end of it. Would you look at that with me? By which also you are saved, 
if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you have believed in vain. And he just threw this in here because he wants us to think about it. There are people in the church that do believe in vain. That means their belief doesn't amount to anything because they only have a head belief, not a heart belief. They know the facts of Scripture. They know about Easter. They know about the resurrection. They know about the birth of Christ. But it's only in their head. And I would think that what a tragedy that would be to go to church all your life and miss it and miss it. And people do that all the time. Even in a church like ours, sometimes people miss it. Their believing is vain. And I think James uh, defined it. He says this, you believe in God, you do well. The demons believe and tremble. You see, you can believe the facts of Christianity, but the facts don't save you. You're saved when you embrace the person of Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not just believing the facts. And so he talks about the gospel here. He said he received it. Where did he receive it? He received it on the road to Damascus. Remember Acts chapter 9? He was walking along the road one day and this gigantic light came down from heaven. And, and out of that light, this voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. You're persecuting me. Well, it was at that point that the Lord began to teach him the gospel. What's the meaning of it all? He received it then, and then he delivered it. That's what the church is all about, delivering the good news. And I'll tell you, I am a, almost a news junkie. That's not a happy thing to be, I'll tell you. Especially because there's no good news, is there? Every time you pull up the Drudge Report, it gets worse. And you think, oh my, it can't get any more It can't get worse than that. And the next time you look, it's even worse. Well, I'll tell you what. That's why the church is so important in the world today, because the church has the good news. And it's a reporter of the good news. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher in England, said this, We are not makers or inventors. We are repeaters. We tell the message we've received. And so it is in every generation. When I was a young kid growing up in the church, you know, they were saying the same thing in the church that I'm saying now. And uh, 50 years from now, you know what they're going to do? They're going to be saying the same thing that I'm saying now. Uh, we're just repeating what we've heard. That's the message of the gospel. We stand on it and we're saved by it. Our hopes of eternal life rest upon the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Sometimes people get hung up on the fringes. Every now and then people say to me, well, what do you believe about abortion? I, well, that's easy. That's easy. But it's easy for us, but it's, but it's hard for the people in the world because they've been brainwashed. And, uh, and so they said, listen, when I get this all worked out, then maybe I can believe in Jesus. And I said, now listen, when you get that all worked out, maybe it'll be too late to believe in Jesus. What we have to do is accept Jesus the most important thing first, and then go out to the, the outer limits. Then deal with the other issues. And it's amazing how when you get your right priorities and you accept Christ as your Savior, how he works that all out. And he shows you the truth in all of those areas. Well, notice here the gospel by which we are saved. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins. Uh, the Messiah died Israel wanted a Messiah, but not a dead one. 
the Roman method of crucifixion was slow and excruciating. Um, that's why we, we call it Good Friday. Because Jesus died for our sins. Uh, there's always a debate who killed Jesus. Have you heard about that? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Here's the answer right here. For I delivered to you first of all that Christ died for our sins. If you want to prioritize anybody responsible for killing Christ, it's our sins. That's you. That's me. First and foremost, Christ died because of our sins. Not that the Romans threw them on the Roman cross, threw them on the Roman cross, or the Jews pushed them into doing it. He died for our sins. Um, that's the answer. You know, no one was qualified to die for our sins but a perfect son of God. Because, you know, I can't die for your sins because I'm in trouble. And you can't die for my sins because you're in trouble. Only an infinite, perfect God could step out of eternity into time and make an offering back to the Father that would be commensurate to the crime. Now, just think of the crime of all the sins of all the world, how big that is. But here is one sinless Son of God who steps out of eternity into time, who is infinitely more valuable than the crime of all the world. And so he's the only one who could have died for our sins. Before Jesus died on the cross, before the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, before he said it's finished, there was a transaction that took place when God the Father laid on Jesus the sin of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know exactly where that happened in the six hours that Jesus died on the cross. I just know it happened. And I can't help believe that maybe it happened when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't know exactly. But he drank the cup that he staggered to drink in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He paid the price that you owed to God for our sins. That's why we love him dearly, don't we? Because he did for you what no one else could ever do. He stepped up. He stepped up to the speeding train of God's vengeance upon our sin, pushed you out of the way of that train, and he took the hit, the hit for you and for me. Now, that's big, isn't it? A lot of times people have the idea, well, maybe I can work my way to heaven. I'd like to eliminate that from your mind today. You know, if we could work our way to heaven, Jesus would have never had to come and die on the cross. We could have all just worked our way to heaven. That's not part of God's plan. There is, though, a work that God does count for your salvation and it is only the work of Christ what he did for you upon the cross uh, was the death of Christ for real sure it was it was confirmed by the Roman soldiers remember they went out and they started to break the bones of those other criminals that were hanging on the cross because that facilitated death that made a person die faster if they could break the legs and they would fall down and weren't, they weren't able then to breathe but when they came to Jesus, they found that he had already died. 
In six short hours, he had died. The Roman soldiers confirmed that this death was really for real. This death was the payment for our sin. It is called, in Jesus' own words, the work that God sent him to do. The very purpose for which Jesus came into the world was to die. John 17, 4. Let's read this together. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. You see the word work there? I want you always to remember this. That is the only work that God will credit for your salvation. The work that Jesus did upon the cross. I think there's an old song that says, Nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. We can't offer God anything for our salvation. We can't do anything to get it. And here's the reason why it's already been done. It's over. It's finished. The work is done. So he died for our sins. Uh, and then he was buried. The tomb is the receipt. Uh, his body is really in there. They bound it up pretty tightly. The Roman guards couldn't dare let Jesus be stolen from the tomb because they would lose their life. And so that would keep you awake, wouldn't it? If you thought uh, Jesus was going to come out of the tomb, I don't think they were probably getting as much caffeine as they could get that night. But caffeine <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> didn't work. And so up from the grave he arose. The resurrection is the proof of his claims. You know, anybody can get on a soapbox and say, listen, I'm the Savior, look at me. And, uh, and plenty of people have said that. But Jesus proved it through the resurrection. You know, our religion is not based upon opinions, but facts. The fact of the empty tomb. The fact of Jesus' body was transformed. After the resurrection, he came back he, he ate with his disciples. They could touch him. And then he made appearances for 40 days. He appeared to people and he said, listen, I'm alive. He appeared to Peter first. And I find that interesting because probably Peter needed him most. And uh, that's the way the Lord works, you know. He looks down in our heart and he says, who needs me the most in this church today? And you're sitting there and you're saying, I think it's me. <laughs> I think I need the Lord most. Well, if you need him the most, he's coming to you. He'll come to you. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he, Peter needed him because, remember, he, he really failed the Lord, when you think about it. Because he was always bragging, listen, other people are going to leave you, not me. I'll stand behind you. And when Jesus looked behind him, he couldn't find Peter, could he? He had three chances to do it right and failed each time. And so he was feeling like his life was finished, it was over. And Jesus came to him and said, listen, Peter, it's okay, I love you. I got a big plan for you in the future. We serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and how many more chances? A lot more, right? And so he appeared to Peter first, uh, and uh, Peter needed that. <coughs> and then he appeared to others. What is the effect of the, uh, the resurrection? It's the transformed lives of his followers. Uh, Friday night, we had a terrific service. How many people were here Friday night? Would you raise your hand? It was like the 
most incredible. And uh, Pastor Ken had a couple families up here giving their testimony, Al and uh, Matt and Amy, uh, Parrish. <coughs> they were giving their testimony. And Amy said that the thing that really drew her to Christ was the change she saw in her husband's life. You know, when you live with somebody, you can really see change, can't you? You can see everything, right? And she says, I saw my husband change and change and change, and I thought, you know, that's what I want. I want that. And so the effect of the resurrection has first and foremost to do with the change in our lives. Uh, Paul was overwhelmed with his past. He said, listen, I'm the least of the apostles. I persecuted the church. But look at me now. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God, Paul gave God the glory for all the change in his life. He was forgiven. He was cleansed. He was full of love. I remember a young girl came to our church a number of years ago. And some miraculous way, she came to Jesus. She was actually a young woman. She came to Jesus. And she came into my office and she said, Pastor, she grew up in a home that it just, things didn't work in that home. Didn't work. It was bad, really. And she came in and she said, Pastor, since I've been saved, I can love my dad now. That really touched me. I can love my dad now. You know, when Jesus comes into your heart, you can do a lot of extraordinary things. You know that? You can do a lot of things. Paul said, listen, you know who I used to be. I'm not that person anymore. Now, I know in this church that we aren't what we used to be. We're not what we want to be, but we're sure not what we used to be. And so by the grace of God, we give God all the credit for that. And what he does is he changes us from the inside out. And that's when real change comes. You know, you can change because somebody's putting the pressure on you from the outside. But that change, as soon as that person lets off the pressure, what happens? <laughs> you revert, right? Because you're doing it for them. When Jesus changes you, he changes you on the inside. And it's a real change. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of my all-time favorite verses. Let's read this together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My old life disappears. Kiss it goodbye. I have a new life in Jesus Christ. That's a glorious thing. It really is. And that's what Paul was talking about here. He said, by the grace of God, I'm the new guy on the block. Look at me now and give God the credit. I think probably people went up to him and maybe they've done this to you and say, hey, what's got into you? And he probably said what you said. I'm glad you ask. It's Jesus. Uh, uh, the change that God produced in our life. And then there's the transformation of the cross. Uh, before the resurrection, the cross was known only as an instrument of horrible death, rough wood soaked with human blood. So terrible was the form of the execution that the Roman Empire would not execute their subjects, the Romans. It was too hideous, heinous. 
The crucifixion was only for the worst enemies of the state. But today, the resurrection, after the resurrection, the cross has a somewhat different meaning around the world. It's a replica, oftentimes a piece of jewelry, a thing of beauty for all the world around us to see the symbol of hope. It's a reminder of God's love for us. I'm curious this morning, how many people in our church this morning have a cross like that, a piece of jewelry that you wear? Maybe it's at home. How many of you have something like that at home? Yes, almost everybody. Well, when you drive down the road, you see that giant cross overlooking Uniontown, Route 40. Uh, it's a symbol of victory, isn't it? When I look at it, I don't look at it as the way people looked at crosses before the resurrection. I like what Dale Evans said. She said, I spent most of my life searching for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Finally, I found it at the foot of the cross. That's where the pot of gold is. Can I have an amen? amen. That's where it is. You know, you can get everything this world has and come up empty. You can get the best degrees from the best universities. You can have the biggest portfolio known to man. But without Jesus Christ, there is this giant hole in your heart. There is this giant need in your life that only he can meet. And when you have him, I'll tell you what, you don't need the biggest degree. You don't need the most money uh, because when you have him, you are rich and your riches are tremendous in Christ. Uh, the, the cross was transformed. It's a new symbol of victory. And then the transformation of the tomb before the resurrection. Uh, before the resurrection, the people would go to the graveyards and it looked like the final chapter the closing of a great door, the end of everything, but now it's different. Walk through the graveyards today and look at the inscriptions, asleep in Jesus. Here I lay my burdens down and turn my cross into a crown. Somebody came to our church, I think it was last, last week, walked in the door and came up to me and he says, the reason why I'm coming to this church today is because I was uh, at the funeral of Harry Anton, and what your church did was amazing. How you turned something so hurtful and so painful into a celebration. That's the reason I'm here today. Well, I'll tell you what. We don't look at the grave as something at the end of the road. It's a comma. It's just a bump. That's all. The best is yet to come. Uh, and so much so that whenever Paul was uh, concluding his words over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this. You're familiar with this. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? He was kind of like mocking death. Now, now follow me here. Don't let me lose you. He was like mocking death. Maybe he was at the graveside and said, O death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We don't have to be afraid of, of the grave because uh, Jesus showed us how fragile it really is. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says this. Uh, we are confident yet well pleased rather to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. We believe this, that whenever we breathe our last breath here, uh, we uh, stand in the presence of the Lord. February 27, 1991, at the height of the Desert Storm War, Ruth Dillo received a very sad message from the Pentagon. It stated that her son, Clayton Carpenter, private first class, had stepped on a mine in Kuwait and was dead. Ruth Dillo later wrote, I can't begin to describe my grief and shock. It was almost more than I could bear. For three days I wept. For three days I expressed anger and loss. For three days people tried to comfort me to no avail because the loss was just too great. But three days after she received that message, the telephone rang. The voice on the other end said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. Ruth Dillo said, I couldn't believe it at first, but when I recognized his voice and that he was really alive, the message, uh, and the message I heard before was a mistake. She said, I laughed, I cried, I felt like turning cartwheels because my son, whom I had thought was dead, was really alive. I'm sure that none of you could even begin to understand how I felt, she said. Uh, perhaps not. But some of those people that walked across the pages of the New Testament had some, I think, similar emotions when Jesus died. One day they watched their best friend and teacher become nailed to a cross. They witnessed his pain when he cried out, I thirst. They listened as finally he bowed his head and said, it's finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. They watched as the body was taken from the cross and buried, and all their hopes and dreams were buried with him. Friday and all day Saturday they mourned until finally, on the first day of the week, early in the morning, some of the women made their way to the path that led to the tomb, wondering who would roll away the tomb or the, the stone. And when they arrived, they found that the stone had already been rolled away, and an angel there told them, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for Jesus among the dead. He's not dead. He's risen. He is risen. Uh, that's our message. We're standing on it. We're repeating it. And it is the only message that can save the soul. When we place our personal faith and trust in the risen Savior. Now who wouldn't want to do that? For someone who loved us so. You know, I grew up in a home where my mom and dad taught me early about the things of God. But the thing that really broke my heart and brought me to Christ is when I finally realized that he loved me so much that he did all of this for me. And he's alive. And so I said to myself, I sign on. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I'll call on you. And when I called on him, you know what he did? He saved me. And he wants to do that for you too. Because Jesus died upon the cross just as much for you as anybody else on the planet.
Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, maybe you came to church today just out of uh, tradition. It's Easter. Uh, I tell you this morning in the church that this can be just another Easter for you or you can be a beginning of a brand new life. The choice is yours. You can walk out of here and wrestle with your problems by yourself or you can walk out of here with Christ in your life. Your sins forgiven with a hope of heaven. And you can walk to the graveside and say, listen, I don't have to fear that anymore because I know there's more than that in life. I know Christ is on the other side. If you're here today and you've never made a decision for Christ, you've never said yes to the claims of Christ, you've gone to church but you're not a, you're not a true believer, you know it, I'd like to give you an opportunity right now to invite Christ into your life. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If you pray this prayer in your heart, the Lord will come to you and he'll save you, he'll forgive you of your sins. Just pray this prayer now. Dear Lord, I have sinned against you. I have broken your law. I confess that before you. I thank you for dying upon the cross for me and loving me so much that you would do that. I trust you and you alone now, Lord, as my Savior. I'm turning my back on my past life. Forgive me of my sins. I'm walking into the future with you, God. Uh, send your Holy Spirit to live in my heart. Help me to live the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing this invitation song, if you feel that you need to come to the altar and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, just feel free to do that now as we sing.